Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Another week of dub excellence. Huge round. Huge round. Lots of upsets. Lots of fun things to talk about. We absolutely cannot wait. It's going to be a a good episode. I feel it in my waters. But before we begin today, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today, you've got me, Marissa Lordanik, Sam Lewis, and Angela Christian Wilkes. So, Besties, let's begin with some you love to see it. So, Sam, what did you love to see from this weekend? Yeah, so I loved to see Kai Simon returning to the dub. Only 14 rounds after she was uh, first announced as part of the Central Coast Mariners, but... You know, she's been through quite a lot over the last two years. Obviously, that ACL injury she sustained when she was at Tottenham, taking her out of the rest of the Women's Super League season and then the sort of the the drama around her um, recall to the Matildas for the Women's World Cup. Um, And when she signed for the Central Coast, you know, I think a lot of people were really excited. Um, They were keen to see her um, because she had sort of reportedly sort of got back to fitness and she was going to be a big name signing one of the big Matildas who were sort of the banners the faces of the league um but didn't quite get her season off to the to the best start still kind of coming back from um a number of different niggles as a result of that ACL so it was really good to see her get back on the field um uh, over the weekend you know she didn't really do a huge amount but just to see her there and to see the fact that like even though her body might not be right, she is still such a quality player and I think she gives the Central Coast Mariners such experience and such a boost in terms of their mentality um, and and their approach to, to big games, particularly like this F3 derby against Newcastle. Uh, yeah, it was just great to see you back on the field and hopefully we can see more of it. You'll have to see it. Absolutely huge for her that her first game back, she got to hold up the much-coveted F3 guardrail um, that's awarded to the winner of the <laughs> F3 derby. Absolutely huge result. She's never she's never hoisted anything bigger. Asian Cup? What's that? Who knows? F3 guardrail? That's where it's at. Um, I also tweeted about it on a more much more serious note um, that the benefits of full home and away really kind of are exemplified by Kaya Simon being able to come back in round 14 and still totally. have a whole half a season to actually get through and get to full fitness and hopefully be starting games. So we do absolutely love to see any and all returns from injury, but especially ACLs. Angela, what did you love to see this weekend? I love to see Carly Johnson um, at Western United get back on the field and get a goal as well. Um, Western United, bit of an upset, 3-1 win over Melbourne City. And two of those goals also came from Hannah Keane, who's been um, 
out with a little niggle. So good to see her back out there and scoring as well. But Carly Johnson, I just she's been out since November and we we got glimpses of her earlier in the season um, prior to her injury. And she's just, I'm a big fan. She's a gun. She's, um, I think in the... I was, is it juniors or children, young, uh, young adult, young Matildas. Um, and yeah, she's just, just got such a drive. She just wants to win. She's great at scoring goals. And she did this in this game and absolute belter of a finish um, for their third goal. And yeah, I think like, I'm really excited to see her kick on and also like the under twenties Asian cup is coming up as well. So yeah, definitely keeping an eye on her and um, yeah, good on her for scoring in her first game back. We absolutely do love to see it. Um, I'm going to just dot point some you love to see it because I'm simultaneously lazy and greedy. So Tamika Yollop's assist for Kaya Stevenson's goal. You love to see it. Kaya Stevenson's goal. You love to see it. Charlie Grant scoring her first goal for Spurs and winning man or player of the match rather. Love to see it. Caitlin Ford scoring for Arsenal on the weekend. Love to see it. Um, and Brianna Edwards getting thrust into the game, the Wellington-Canberra game. Uh, the first thing she has to do when she gets on is face a penalty, and she saves it. Love to see it. Obviously, we'll talk about that game in a little bit more depth later on. But, yeah, lots of little things that we absolutely love to see here, there, and everywhere. But um, let's talk about the actual round we just had. So we've kind of dubbed it a bit of a round of upsets because – before this weekend started, I reckon there are some results that people just simply wouldn't have predicted. So we started things off with Western United beating Melbourne City 3-1, as Angela mentioned, a bit of an upset considering City are the ladder leaders. Um, we had a 1-1 draw in the big blue between Victory and Sydney. Brisbane got a 3-1 victory over Western Sydney, who have been one of the kind of form teams of the competition of late. Adelaide got a very important victory over Perth 2-1. The Knicks, as I just mentioned, they were 2-0 winners over Canberra in a very spicy game that we will talk about a little bit later. And as we said, the Mariners got up over the Newcastle Jets in that F3 derby, holding aloft the beautiful piece of guardrail from the highway, um, but also some really good goals in that game as well. So lots of fun things to talk about. Uh, Lots of fun things to talk about. But shall we start with the kind of more upsetty results of the round? So, like I said, Western United City to me, I think, is an upset. Brisbane beating Western Sydney, upset. And Adelaide beating Perth, upset. Um, what was in the water in the dub this week? Why was everyone kind of able to get up? over more fancied opponents is there any result in particular that stood out as well that was the upsettiest upset <laughs> I think you kind of foreshadowed it at the start there Marissa where I think a lot of the performances that we've seen across this round we have kind of seen this happen in the past but in the past we've had a smaller calendar, a shorter competition. And so teams that start to really get momentum towards round 14, round 15, that's then the end of their season. And they're usually so far down the ladder that it doesn't really mean anything anymore. But now, because we have this extended season, we're starting to see a couple of teams like finally clicking and all the bits and pieces that they've been working on over the first half of the season really slotting into place. So 
I think Western United is probably the best example of that. This game against Melbourne City, I thought was amazing. So many of their players, like it, they just, it looked like they had been playing together for a while, which, you know, they have. They just needed some time for all of it to kind of to start cooking, you know. I think Chloe Legazzo was was brilliant. It's great to see that Hannah Keane has finally returned from her niggle and, and found her goal-scoring boots. Um, but, like, the way in which they've finally settled, I think, on particularly on a midfield that really works for them is, is really important. Um, and as for Melbourne City, like, they're still a great side, but I think now they're actually coming up against teams that are as good as they are and are starting to figure them out. Um, you know, Melbourne City got off to a really hot start in this league and other teams took a little bit more time to, to really get their, get their gears sort of turning. Um, and now we've hit this point where it seems like most teams are kind of like, okay, this is our groove now. This is our style. This is our system. Here's our core group of players. Um, here's how we want to work. And I think now for the rest of the season, it's going to be really, really interesting. I don't think that the ladder as it stands is going to finish this way. I would be really shocked um, if the current top four stays as the current top four. But just based on the last three rounds, we've seen so much variation. And even looking at the ladder now, there's, I think, like three or four points separating fourth to eighth or something insane. So like thinking just about the various permutations of the next couple of rounds, like the whole ladder could could change in its configuration in the space of two or three weeks which is awesome. That's exactly what you want to see. It makes you want to watch every every game. It makes you invested in every result because it could affect your team in one way or another. Um, but in terms of the upsettiest of the upsetties, I like it's got to be Adelaide, right? Adelaide winning against Perth. That was amazing. It, it brings them off the foot of the ladder. Yes, it was lucky. Um, you know, the, the second goal that they scored really was a, an error by, uh, by Morgan Aquino in goal for Perth with the ball sort of scuttling underneath her, her arm when she really should have quite easily saved it but you take what you take you know like you you got to be in, in the position you got to take the shot for the error to happen you got to like force your luck and I think that's what Adelaide are, are kind of starting to do I thought Chelsea Dorber was particularly impressive I think that's probably one of the most lethal games that I've seen her play so far this season which is great Izzy Hodgson as well was very good Dylan Holmes was in and around the area so again like a, a, a number of these sort of mid to lower table teams I think are finally starting to find their groove and the players that really understand and have chemistry with each other are, are coming to the fore. So yeah, I think it was, it was an awesome round. I'm, I hope most people got to watch most of those games because it was, it was epic stuff happening everywhere. I was and Adelaide looked like a completely different team. And to be honest, like the goals they did get were a bit, you know, grabby, but the chances they were having just, the fact that they were having that much time in front of goal and having that many opportunities, I just think back to the the game they played earlier this season with um against Vic, Victory, and they had nothing going forward, and now they have they're actually creating and they're having good opportunities. And I think massive credit um to Center for moving Hodgson Isabel Hodgson. Sorry, there's two at Adelaide um up front because she like I I kind of. I don't know if this is me just projecting, but I kind of see a bit of like if you've played football and you know when you're in a position and you're like, I can do it. It's fine. I'll do what is needed for the team, but you really want to be put up front and then you're put up front and like you're like, yeah, let's go. I really feel that <laughs> from her speaking from experience. <laughs> that was me last season. And then I got put up front in the last game and I scored. So 
I see where you're coming from, Isabel Hodgson. So Santa must have listened to her um, or maybe, again, projecting. But uh, you can really see that. And the goal that she scored, like, with, like, the little left, like, the one-touch left dink across her body. So I nice. That was, like, really instinctive and just, like, kind of what you need in those situations. Sometimes there's not a guarantee that that's going to be accurate or you know, it's not just going to go into traffic, but you do need to just sometimes hit it that first time. So, yeah, Adelaide are looking, and Dorba's definitely like come much, like much more into it. Um, so, like, quite excited for Adelaide at this point. I do feel for them in the sense that they've started that that it's a it's a quite a big ascent for them if they want to keep pushing upwards. But, um, like you said, Sam, there's like, for example, with Brisbane Raw if they win two games and Perth drop two games, then it's like there's a shift there because one like Raw's on 17 and Perth are on what 22 at the moment. So there's so much in this for the rest of the season. It's really exciting. Um, in terms of like, and also the surprising thing about that game is like Aquino, Morgan Aquino, Perth's keeper. I feel like she's been one of the most consistent and best keepers so far this season. So it was really out of character for her. And I hope um, she doesn't take it like that error to to heart I feel like that's one of the big parts of being a goalkeeper of having to just goldfish those moments and and move on but Perth are are interesting I don't like for example I think it was it was mentioned in um the commentary but a lot of their youngsters have kind of been put like coming back into games later on but like for example starting Sakalis like she's she's good fun and the, the you know Sakalis Fonson Camp they those were the names that were like kind of growing into the season at the start of the at the start of the season I think and yeah it's just I don't know they've they've lost a bit of creativity Farrow seems to be not quite on her game at the moment she had some good chances but didn't bury them so for them I'd I wonder what the psychological aspect of slipping is like versus like trying to like grab onto you know the a fourth place position and and climb upwards but um yeah I'm not I was excited for I'm like oh yeah you're fading that's that's annoying for you guys Sam yeah it's it's funny isn't it like they they've kind of like this is almost like the Wednesday of their of their of their season like they're kind of just like oh shit like this is the really hard bit and when you look at their past results they actually haven't won a game since the end of December which is kind of wild. And then prior to that, their last win before was at the start of December. They've really drawn their way and kind of clung, as Angela described so vividly, to that fourth spot, really just through a couple of um, very strategic draws. But, yeah, it's been strange, hasn't it? Like, they again, they started the season really well. They had a number of players who were firing, um, but some of those key parts of their machine have kind of become a bit clunky. I think Farrow is probably the the best example of that. And Fonson Cam is, you know, sort of faded a little bit as well. Um, but again, in saying that, a number of other players have maintained consistency. I think Hannah Lowry's continues to be amazing. I'd be shocked if she's not involved in senior Matilda's camps in the next couple of years if she keeps up this kind of trajectory. Um, and I've, yeah, I've, I've just been kind of baffled at, at how this has happened. It's, it's weird, isn't it? Like it's, and now that we're having to talk about these teams in the context of this bigger season where prior to this, our, our sort of context has been, or our parameters have been really specific. So it's kind of like the logic has been contained within this little package of games. And we've kind of been able to make sense of how everyone has gone by virtue of that, 
um, that container. But now it's sort of this big thing and we're like, oh, my God, like now how do we look at these teams? How do we understand what these teams are doing and, and what has been rattling them and, and how they've been able to address certain things in certain ways? Um, which is cool. Like I like that we have to sort of evolve our conversation now and become a little bit more, um, I don't know, maybe a little bit more conscious, a little bit more aware, a little bit more um, focused or analytical even about how teams navigate a longer season in this way because you can kind of assume that a longer season means that all teams get a, a benefit from it, but there are some circumstances maybe in which that doesn't necessarily happen because teams prior to this maybe would have really loved a shorter season because they could get off the mark really quickly, bank up a whole lot of points. And then when other teams around them start to make up ground, they're so far in front by the end of the season that it doesn't really matter anyway. And I sort of feel like that's what we're seeing almost with Melbourne City and also Perth Glory where they start and Wellington Phoenix to an extent, they started really, really well. But now because of this bigger sort of um, runway that all these other teams have got, they're actually starting to to catch up to them, which is good or, good or bad, depending on if you're a fan or not of those teams, I suppose. It's probably worth elaborating on a little bit more because we did have a question on Twitter about the season length and I suppose not just from how we talk about it but how clubs approach it. So we had the question from Stephen who was basically asking – it's uncharted territory for these squads. Do the teams have enough enough depth to cope with a longer season? Will we see more kind of upset chaos games? Um, I think the depth conversation is interesting. My brain immediately also went to pre-season because, and I'm happy to be corrected here, from what I remember at the start of the season, the dub pre-season officially emphasis on officially started not that long before the season actually began um I feel like it should have started officially earlier and I wonder then how much uh like a pre-season that was the same length for a 14 or like a smaller season applies to a longer season in terms of fitness depth getting teams actually ready to play more games um I could be talking out of my ass here though so please correct me if I am wrong um the depth conversation I think like clubs should be okay like squad sizes are decent enough and unless you're having a really torrid time injury wise you should be okay but yeah I think it's it's almost not even a physical barrier. It might be even more of a mental thing. Like, what do you mean I have to do a second dub season right after I've done a full one? Because for most of the players in this league, they've completed a, a typical dub season at round 14. So I wonder if there's almost more of a mental barrier than a physical barrier of needing to like keep yourself in the zone for another 14 weeks or 15 weeks, however long it is, plus finals after that if um, you're lucky enough. So I think it's a really interesting conversation because we, like you said, we just haven't had to talk about it ever and a lot of our kind of key thoughts and ideas about the dub have been shaped by its brevity. So we need to kind of switch things up. But do you guys have any kind of additional thoughts on um, 
Stephen's question here about the how the longer season actually impacts uh, teams here. Yeah, I think this is it's going to be a real um, testing ground, I think, for all of the clubs in terms of these questions, right? Because this is the first time that they've had to navigate such a long season and that they have had to really dig into the absolute depths of their squads. And up until now, it hasn't really been that necessary because by the time you get to the end of the season, yeah, you may have copped an injury or two, but you haven't really had to to go to the bottom of the of the barrel, so to speak. You haven't really had to to find replacements for replacements. But you know, Sydney FC maybe is a good example. You know, they copped a number of pretty big injuries that they have struggled to replace. They've had to sign players like emergency players, you know, a third halfway through the season in order to make up for those losses. And so I wonder strategically going forward, if clubs are going to look at this season, assess the way that their players have or haven't been able to cope with the increased game time as well, the increased um, load on their bodies, the increased match minutes and the effect that that has had on their fatigue, their their injuries, their, you know, X, Y, Z. And ahead of next season, recruit players more strategically with more thought to, oh, okay, it turns out that we're probably going to have a, a couple of different players fall down at various points through the season, probably players who have been the core of the team and who will likely be playing the most minutes. So we need to be able to go out there and find like-for-like like replacements for them if what happens, as we are potentially seeing this season, some of them go down for a, a number of rounds as a result of having to play too much um, or for whatever reason. So, yeah, so I think, you know, looking across the whole league, I think it's it's going to be, it's it's growing pains, right, all of this stuff. This is what you have to do. This is what you have to go through in order to move into this next stage of, of yourself as a competition. Um, so I think in, in that respect, it's great. But at the same time, the thing that really worries me is what we're seeing globally as well, which is like as women's football at club level um, grows and as more and more competitions are added, as more and more matches are added, I, I worry that the, the resources that these players are given to manage their bodies and to manage these loads uh, physically and psychologically, as you say, Marissa, um, is, not, is, not, is not keeping pace. It's not quite adequate for how rapidly these players are having to adapt to these increased um, competition sizes. And when we also add into it, you know, the potential introduction of um, like a Women's Australia Cup in the next two or three seasons, which A-League clubs will most likely have to take part in. We've also got an Asian competition that's just kicked off or, or re, re, restarted after a pilot program a couple of years ago, as well as the addition of potentially a Club World Cup that FIFA are going to be running. You know, is the A-League going to be involved in that as well? And this is all stuff that needs to be really seriously considered when we think about the way in which like down to very small decisions, what kind of player do you as a head coach need to go out and recruit in the context of all of these layers of, of questions and stresses? Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I don't know, I don't know if that answered any kind of question, but I think it's, it's, it's a conversation that needs to happen at a much more urgent um, pace than what it currently is, I think, um, especially considering that it is one of the major layers of the current discourse around ACLs 
um, and why so many players are sustaining these injuries um, in in all different competitions and and all different kinds of club environments and whatever. But they're they're all operating within the same global context of this game is getting bigger, it's getting faster, and it's getting longer. Um, so we need to make sure that the players are supported in every single way environmentally um, so that they are able to keep up with that kind of um, growing demand that administrators are, are placing on their shoulders. It's interesting you mentioned like the psychological aspect of it as well. So for players, I imagine the dub used and this is generalizing a lot, but it was, we've seen that um, players were able to kind of put their normal in quotation marks, like lives on hold to dedicate their, you know, September through to, you know, whenever the season used to wrap up, like typically February-ish to the dub and then kind of go back to normal scheduling or go back to MPL. Um, And now with the full home and away season, that's, I wonder how possible that is so you've got another couple of months where as a player you're having to you've got the additional admin of moving your life around both playing football and whatever else you have going on and um the other the aspect of moving towards professionalism that really intrigues me and I was thinking about this this morning is part of those growing pains I imagine is eventually having players who won't be able to keep doing the juggle but then also are we providing the the kind of goods in terms of pay and resourcing um, at clubs to make full-time football and committing, you know, making the A-League women's your main schedule thing in your life as a football player? Are we making that an attractive prospect? Because, um, yeah, I, I had a chat with Ante Juric last year for my GQ piece and he was talking about how there's players who have quite lucrative salaries or like good salaries in their full-time jobs and they're currently able to manage those things side by side. But if they were to dedicate their lives to full-time football, it would be a pay cut. And it's just like that. And we've also like, for example, um, Alex Gummer talked about how she actually enjoyed that, being able to, as a, as a footballer, do have her career as well as an engineer and manage these things. But the full-time season, I imagine, is just going to – makes that less of a possibility. Um, so we might see kind of a new generation. We are seeing that as well, like younger players who are able to just have football full-time football as their thing. But the who gets left behind in that and how we can kind of – what that looks like will be interesting as well. Um and also, I'm, when we look, not that we should always compare to the men's game, but when we do look at the men's game, in Australia at least, the MPL is still a pretty good deal if you're like a men's player who can play at that high level and you can kind of do that juggle um, and actually choose to do that juggle. Whereas um, I, I'm not sure if it's the same kind of, yeah, again, attractive prospect for someone who's like, I can't do dub anymore, but the MPL I could kind of throw my energies into that and I'll still be playing at a really high level that tests me and, and yada yada so I don't know sorry that was a bit of a ramble but it's just like this whole thing around um the full home and away season is yeah very interesting I didn't really speak to any of the technical side of it I don't really know how clubs recruit at the moment but I imagine it's just going to have to be again more resourcing and more um 
just staying on top of that for like you've got to keep in mind that you might need to have an injury replacement player much sooner on in the year um later on in the season or whatever it is and you can't just kind of make do like victory have done in previous seasons perhaps where they've just like crawled over the finish line and gotten good results but you like if you're getting like a a a big injury at this time of year now it's just that's not gonna the the finish line is not in sight at the moment for a lot of these players so yeah, I, I'm intrigued to see how that kind of works behind the scenes. I'm not, um, uh, what, what I was about to say, talent recruiter. What are the people that recruit? That's their jobs to find good players. A scout. Oh scout. Scout. I'm not a scout, obviously, <laughs> because I don't know. Talent also, that, that fits. Talent recruiter. Um, yeah, I don't know what kind of stuff they've got going on with scouts and that kind of thing at clubs. but um, And also, where would you look? Uh, domestically at this time of year for talent coming through if the NPL hasn't started as well. And I don't know. There's all interesting questions. What was the question? <laughs> I've, I've forgotten. You know what? I, I found the, like, I feel like it was related because as with everything with the dub, it's like any question is, I'll start again, very rarely is a question in the dub a kind of, straight up and down question that doesn't look at anything else um you know people I remember back in the day they would be like questions about double headers and it was like well it's not just do you like double headers it's timing it's facilities it's this it's that it's broadcast it's venue like it's all of this kind of stuff so I feel like the length of the season absolutely does take into consideration um wider global context about length of seasons, club competitions, how much we're actually asking players to do. And then obviously um, work outside of football is a massive part of a lot of these girls' lives because I think we're still very much in the era of uh, second jobs being the rule rather than the exception. Like the younger players are probably – in a better position to be just full-time football or maybe um, just studying football, which in my mind for some reason seems more manageable than actual work in football, like if, if you're not attending your lecture. Maybe that was just my uni experience. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's like I said, I think you you have answered the question in your own special way, in a very interesting way. Um, oh, thank you. I was going to also just mention on that, it's like the study side of it as well. uh, Some kinds of studies are amenable to, you know, you can be more flexible with it, but we've seen like Betty Goad's been out for what, four rounds doing like medical school stuff. Um, So yeah, moving forward, what kind of decisions to players have to make around their study choices and what they can do. And I, it's going to be interesting when she does come back to play for, the buck because hopefully it has a positive impact we can maybe talk about the, the game that happened this weekend I would prefer not to but anyway um but at the same time is that something we're gonna see in the future I feel like maybe no it you might have to make a choice or the longer season means that you can be like oh BD good you want to go off and do exams well you need to go off and do exams go for it we've got we can plan around that I don't know 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wonder if it becomes a thing similar to players who fall pregnant, where it's like they're gone for a year, a year and a half, and then they come back, which is just, um, you know, a remix of the juggle. But we've seen that it's possible for players to have a literal child, which is, you know, a pretty big deal, no small feat. Um if their outside life requires them to take a course or set themselves up in a job or do whatever it is for a year and then clubs are willing and flexible enough to like welcome them back after a year I wonder if that becomes a new norm in a weird kind of way um I don't know but I think we need to get back to talking about round 14 of the A-League women so we're going to move on to Uh, the game that I've alluded to a couple of times, you guys have both mentioned it as well, the Wellington 2 Canberra nil game. Because unfortunately, Mariana Speckmeyer's two goals, sensational. She was having a fantastic time. Um, She was out here dancing after the goal. She was literally having the best time of her life. Very important win for the Knicks. But the thing we really need to talk about from this game is the red card to Riley Foster. So, uh, straight off the bat, was it a red card, my friends? Because there seems to be a pretty resounding consensus on the line. Absolutely not. Oh, my God. No. It was It was one of the, the like, we've had a couple of these this season. We've had a couple of really sort of wild refereeing calls, but I think this might be take the cake for the worst one um I like I don't want to lay into the referee but I I don't like this 100% this is going to be overturned um when it's reviewed Wellington have already requested that Football Australia review the decision and because it was a straight red card um they're able to do so but even just watching the replays like it didn't, it didn't, like it didn't even look like anything. It looked, it looked like a goalkeeper protecting her space. Um, her her elbow was kind of used. It wasn't used in like a lashing out into the face kind of way. It was used to shield herself, which she is has all the right to do, especially in a moment like that. Um, and it accidentally copped a, a player in the chest, who then very melodramatically, like in slow motion, kind of fainted backwards into the grass um and it, like just the it wasn't even just the fans but like all of the players on the field were like what when that happened the the commentators were were baffled like it was just so it was so bizarre I'd be really curious to know from the referee's perspective what they saw because they also had to see that through a whole like forest of players it was a set piece there was a big clump of them in the box people were moving around so, like, what did you see? Like, how did you even see that that could potentially be read? Like, did was it kind of a trick of the light where there was so much chaos happening that it looked like it was worse than what it was on the replay? Um, yeah, it, it was. It was just. It was crazy to me. Um, but uh, like, I, I 
the, the the chaos merchant in me loves that it it set up the circumstances for Bree Edwards to come on and save the penalty, um, <laughs> and and set off that absolutely amazing, might I add, crowd that home crowd in that small little stadium um, that Wellington played in front of, which in itself was was so much fun and made me. Made, it's the kind of crowd that makes you want to go to the dub. You know that kind of um, parochial atmosphere was really really good. But yeah, that red card was insanity. I'd be shocked if it if it remains. I, I'm kind of like, did she hear something? Was there like an elbow and a very naughty word or something? Like, do you know, because that maybe that could justify it. But also I don't, like, it would have to be a really, really bad word. I don't know. I just, and I, I feel like that wasn't what happened in that situation. But, um, yeah, it's a tough one because I feel like, you know, referees, they, they make bad calls sometimes, but not always on that kind of, like, debut game in, like, the the head ref what's the one in the middle called center ref center ref yeah in the in the in the center ref position so and it was also interesting because in the like victory sydney game there was an interest like an interesting call um and the center ref consulted their lines person and then um made the decision whereas this was very much like straight away decision made in the moment I don't know I feel for refs because sometimes I feel like they should just be allowed if there's a LED screen they should be allowed to re-watch what's on the LED screen without it going to um, I know we don't have do we have no we don't have VAR um but like just being able to do that and be like okay I'm taking in some additional data on what happened and now I can make my my choice because there is they do have to take in a lot of information happening all at once and then respond to it but yeah I don't know what data uh, this ref was taken in and um just I hope it's fine you, everybody makes mistakes everybody has those days everybody gets this way you know what I'm talking sorry um so we'll move not a red card for me definitely not a red card I don't think even a yellow but thank you Hannah Montana uh, for that one um we did have some questions though just about like the referees and what well, like we saw, going to start again because I've forgotten how to word. Um, like of the questions we got on Twitter, there were suggestions that you know there's been a series of howlers, and that like you know what do we need to actually do about the state of refereeing in the A League women? Um, I agree there has been like some calls, but like for example, the the first one that comes to mind is. Holly McQueen who got sent off for Brisbane in Unite round and then that was appealed, it was expunged, obviously it doesn't help Brisbane in that game but they did have her back for the very next game which was some sort of karmic retribution and rebalancing. Um, and yeah, basically there's just there was a, a very interesting conversation in our At The Far Post pod mentions about like how do we improve the standard? Do we need to like... Um, well, how do we improve the standard? Are we throwing inexperienced referees into the fire of like a debut dub game and then not actually giving them any sort of support or additional training or whatever it is that they might need to actually reach the standard of refereeing that is required for a competition like the A-League Women's? Because I feel like there's your obvious standout refs and it's very easy to see who the obvious standout refs are because they're the ones that go do FIFA tournaments and continental tournaments and get 
poached by the A-League men's as well to do roles in those matches as well. Um, but yeah, it's it, it garnered a lot of conversation in our mentions. So um, what do we do about the refs? Is it as big a deal as maybe we think? like it's being made out to be or is it just a couple of bad calls are exemplified in the same way, you know, a goalkeeper has a couple of howlers howlers, and all of a sudden it's like, this is the worst goalkeeper I've ever seen in my life, but they just, they're in a position that (laughs) magnifies all of their errors. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's the same. It's a variation on a theme, right? Exactly what we were just talking about. Like how, do you become a better player? When we think, like, think about the like the best Australian referees that we've got in the women's game. We've got like a Kate Jackowitz, we've got a Casey Rybelt. In terms of sideline refs, we've got a Sarah Ho, we've got a, a Joe Sharactis. How did they become good? How did they become better? They became better because they kept getting opportunities. They kept working. They kept refereeing. They kept having the the space to learn. Um, and yeah, a lot of them made mistakes along the way. But can you imagine, like? how their trajectories would have altered if in one of their first games they'd made an absolute howler decision and then was never given another opportunity ever again. We wouldn't have them. You know, they would have gone off and done something else probably because they were like, well, this is the this is the ceiling. I've just smashed it. So yeah, I, I think it's it's important to keep in mind that referees are part of this bigger conversation um and and these bigger contexts in terms of the growth of the game because you know, the more games that are added to the A-League women's, the more referees that we kind of need to be available for them and the more opportunities they have to learn and to grow and to understand the pace and the speed and the um, and 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 all the different things that come with a, with an improving sport. So, yeah, like it's on the one hand, it's very frustrating and I think in the same kind of way as a goalkeeper cops a lot of the blame for a howler, referees cop a lot of the blame for a howler as well because you always notice them but you don't notice a good refereeing performance you know what I mean you like you a great referee is someone who like no one remembers because they've done their job um and I think this is the start of that journey for a number of young refs in this season like this person in the in the Canberra Wellington game is not the first sort of debut ref um in the current uh in the current cycle um so I think it, like it's just important to kind of empathise and to keep in mind that bigger um, that bigger struggle and also the fact that these referees are part-time, like they all have to have second jobs. I don't know the extent to which that um, exhausts them or how that affects their ability to access further development opportunities or programs or things off the field. You know, even the, the top referees in Australia have had to work almost their entire careers before they get opportunities at FIFA level or AFC level or whatever. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's yeah, like it's it's easy to to kind of pounce on a moment like this and say, oh, why are the referees so shit, blah, 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 and paint them all with the same brush. But it's not true. Um, and I think we're, we can be a very reactive fan base in a moment like this, especially when it's like a pretty obvious um, mistake in a, a situation like this, which then goes viral because we're also a content machine and this is the kind of shit that gets people's tongues wagging. Um, but we just need to keep in mind that these people are learning too. Like everyone makes mistakes and if you don't make mistakes, then you're not learning anything. So I hope that the referee is okay. Um, I hope that they are given more support. I hope they are given more opportunities to referee going forward and just get the runs on the board, like continue to grow and continue to 
to develop and improve and then hopefully you come back and you won't make the same mistakes again. I'm going to go down a bit of a windy path here, so bear with me. I never do that. I'm always to the point. Um, but I think it's like 100%. Like, are the referees in the dub able to be full-time? I don't know a whole lot about the – yeah, whether I can answer that question, but I'm, I'm assuming no. And how many full-time referees do we have in the A-League men's? I'm assuming also not a whole lot. But it's interesting. I've had conversations with friend of the pod, Tom about this as well in terms of resourcing across the leagues it's not just about like what you're providing at club level but also all the behind the scenes stuff of like for example your coaching staff and how many of those are full-time and your physio staff and how many of those are full-time and I think referees comes into that as well in terms of if you're not um if you're putting the in quotation marks better referees onto the A-League men's and then putting the developing referees onto the A-League women's, you're, there's something symbolic in there about the the status that you're giving the A-League women's. And it's, I don't know how you reckon with that because it's, it's a, a thing for players as well. They want good quality refereeing. And then the question about how do you get to that in terms of like, developing referees I imagine it has to be something like you would do with a player like if I'm thinking of like a Jeff Hopkins here he like or uh, Ante Euros like how they like kind of drip feed players into seasons you'd probably see the same thing happening with referees but then my mind was like to be able to do that and drip feed opportunities and develop people and you like match them with the appropriate like level for where they're at and not throwing them in the deep end you need a solid pool to draw from and most of our referees are also refereeing in like NPL level competitions around the country and then I was like well yeah I'd just from my experience in the community football space it's not always the nicest time <laughs> in <laughs> to refereeing NPL and it's not always the nicest time refereeing community football and in Victoria at least we have a ref shortage because it's and that's a whole other thing so I feel like it's really yeah. like you have to grow the talent pool and that really has to start at the grassroots and then you're able to kind of you know tweak the things at the higher level to you know appropriately develop referees and like take care of them as well as well as providing good quality officiating for both men's and women's competitions without just like delegating development status to just one you know what I mean so it's a thorny one um and it's it's really difficult I think but yeah and my personal opinion about like in terms of like growing the talent pool at grassroots level for refereeing is to make sure that clubs are being disciplined appropriately because if it's a really awful time being a referee people leave and that's kind of what's happened at the moment and why um there has to be lots of like kind of reactive initiatives from federations to get referees through the door um, because it wasn't an attractive thing to do. I like, yeah, it just generally, I think you have to be a very particular kind of person to be a referee. So hats off to anyone who gives it a go because what the hell that's, it looks really, really hard <laughs> anyway. Um, and yeah, in terms of the ref in this game and, it's also interesting as well, like sometimes a rev will make a, a decision that completely changes the 
the game like um in in Canberra Wellington or can has the ability to completely change the outcome of the game but then also sometimes referees have games where they're just like consistently making bad decisions and that's kind of another interesting thing um as well because that also has a flow-on effect for the whole game because it changes how players are playing and how they're going into tackles or how they're um feeling which I find is a really interesting aspect of of refereeing of like the the whole game holistic management of when you start pulling out cards and all that sort of thing anyway that is kind of irrelevant but most of it should have been relevant to what we were talking about all right I'm done again I feel like we've accidentally tackled two topics back to back where it's like it's not just this little point. It is the whole universe of points that needs to be considered. Um, and yet just the one thing I did want to mention that I didn't mention at the start that I absolutely should have, um, you know, f- the kind of path towards full-time professionalism for the league absolutely cannot and should not only include players because you cannot have full-time players with then part-time assistant coaches, part-time referees, part-time media, part-time facility, like anything like that. So I think referees absolutely fall into that category of maybe needing to be like pulled up to the level of where the players are currently at because obviously they are the ones who um, have had, I suppose, the most advancements, I suppose you would call it, in terms of remuneration and conditions and things of that nature. So we we got to pull up the whole league. We can't just have like a straggler right in front and then wonder why things are still kind of part-timey amateurish vibes. Um, let's move along because, like I said, we've really we've dug into the weeds in some topics. Um, a quick fun one to kind of end this little conversation. We had the question from Tim on Twitter about the Julie Dolan medal because we are at the kind of halfway-ish mark of the season. And his question was basically about Holly McNamara was easily the standout in the first few rounds of the dub for the Julie Dolan. Obviously, that uh, came crashing down when she did her ACL, which we still hate. Um, But it meant that obviously we needed to find a new kind of favourite for the Julie Dolan. Vesna Milivojevic has been bandied around as kind of like, I think, the next leading lady for the Julie Dolan. But... Tim mentioned that, you know, she's been a bit hampered by injury and the like. So who is actually leading the race for the Julie Dolan after 14 rounds of A-League women competition, I ask you both? I feel like this um, do have did we have this, I feel like I'm having deja vu, did we have this conversation last season where we're like, this is the closest season that it's ever been in terms of the Julie Dolan because there are so many different players who were, who were doing so well. I feel like this season is a little bit different though because, you know, when you think, there are two kinds of dynamics that I see when it comes to Julie Dolan voting. One is that you have a standout player in an average team who often gets they they sort of like they they attract all the all the votes in in that um, in that game. And you also have a lot of good players in good teams, and they all take points off each other. So like when I when I think about the the whole concept of the three two one voting. Like I understand that it's probably the best, the 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 best possible way to be able to determine effectively an MVP. But I'd always like I always sort of like take a couple of steps back when it comes to voting. I'm like, what does it actually mean to be a valuable player in this particular team? Like, 
Vesna Milivojevic is a great example where, you know, she's scored a lot of goals. She's assisted a lot of goals. Um, visually, she seems like one of the better players in, in Canberra United. Uh, and yet they're at the bottom of the ladder. So, like, how do you assess that? Does that, should that be a factor? Should should the way in which the team actually performs over the course of the season be a factor in the way that you vote? Or should it just be on, it should it just be an eye test? Should it just be, this player was great in this game and that's it? And sort of, do, like, separate it and, and take it out of the, the context of the whole team and the whole season? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, when, when I when I look at the at the top four at the moment, you know, you've got Melbourne City, you've got West United, you've got Sydney FC again, shockingly, and also Perth Glory again, shockingly, considering how few games they've actually won in the last two months. Which of the players in those four teams would I say should be involved in the Julie Dolan conversation? There aren't really a huge number that stick out to me. You know, I think maybe the only person is Daniela Gallich because she seems to be better than most people most of the time. But again, she has come into games against teams where there have been better players on the opposition. Um, this game, the recent game against Western United, I think was a really good example. You know, Chloe Legazzo probably copped a, a couple of Julie Dolan points for her um, her involvement. Hannah Keane probably got a couple. You know, it's it's really hard. It's hard to kind of like when you actually think about it a bit more, it, it gets really confusing and really difficult. But I'd be curious to know all your thoughts because I, I think there are, yeah, there are probably a couple of players across all the teams that are that are pretty good. But whether they actually are going to make the the, the sort of the final list, the short list in terms of the points is is the is the um, is the question because I think everyone votes very differently. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I have a little bit of a formula when I submit Julie Dolan votes and it's usually like my question is what would the game how would the game have looked if this player wasn't in it and hadn't had the performance that they had so kind of impact on the final outcome a lot of the time but that can take like that's taken me to some really interesting places and led me to pay attention to some players I probably wouldn't have otherwise paid attention to because like for example like talking about refs having a really good game often when defenders have like a really good game you don't notice unless it's like a good game and they score as well um so it is I I feel like Legazzo is actually a pretty good shout um just looking at like the trend with previous years while it's not always like a player who's in the um top the team that finishes first it does seem to be like in and around that um, the only kind of outlier I can see is like Michelle Heyman when she got it in 2020, 2021, I think Canberra, they were like seventh out of 10. So that's when you have like a really, really good goal scorer maybe. And it's just like undeniable. And then again, taking my formula into account, you, you just like, if you're, they're banging in goals in a game, you kind of do have to, I feel like give them at least one vote depending on what you know, happens in the game. So yeah, I feel like Legazzo, yes, Sydney. Yeah. I don't know. Like Sydney have not as a whole team, there haven't been really any standout players that have, you know, driven them forward. And the same, like with Perth, I don't know. Hannah Lowry is probably like, would be one of my votes for Perth or someone like a, a Tash Rigby, who's just like consistent game in game out, does the job, does a good job kind of thing but in terms of and Amina Ekic I feel like um she was you know out this week because she got a red card but she's her and her and Galich um 
just having and, and Torpy is like I don't know City I, I feel like it could be someone from City now that I'm thinking about it because they have had players come out and be like good pretty much every week but it's a it's a hard one um Chids like last year Chids was like you know it was kind of undeniable her impact on victory and how she got them to where they needed to be to be in you know finals and that kind of thing um so again as well maybe the final stretch will also change our thoughts and feelings on this and and you know someone might emerge who really dictates um their their team season towards like the 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 end but i don't know yeah that's not very but too long didn't read legazo is my current shout i actually have a question for both of you does the red card actually rule amina ikic out of contention do they have rules about fair play or am I looking at this with footy brain where you know you can't win the brown oh, no, women's do. best and fairest if you've been suspended I don't know I or think so because a couple of weeks ago my brain would have been like Amina Ekic has come in and just kind of run with things and absolutely catapulted into consideration for me um I think that's the thing. I think Vesna's done enough so far to also like continue being in the conversation, even if she is hampered by injury or doesn't get as much game time. Like what she, when she's on, she's getting three votes. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. sometimes that's enough. You did a big gasp. So do you have an, an answer to the question or? It was too dramatic a gasp. You're correct. So if you get a direct um, red card, um, you get removed from the team list. I don't. I. I was like, was hers direct? Which is interesting. Two yellows. No, yeah, so that's like right. A, a big, yeah. a big, big old red up front is like will yeah. cross you off the list. But then again, it's interesting. So, for example, if the red card in the Wellington Canberra game is overturned, surely mm. Riley Foster is like not off the list. Yeah. Maybe it's like a red card, and you have you do end up sitting out the following game, or, or you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. appropriately disciplined. So Ekic would be ah. That's oh no, but hers was two yellows, so she she's yeah. Fine. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so okay. yeah, in in my mind, she's absolutely in the conversation. I think the the two that are really in there for me, I agree with you. Chloe Legazo is absolutely in that conversation because I think she's been fantastic for Western United, just so good, and also it's just so good that she's been allowed to be so good because her body has let her be so good um the other one for me and maybe this i don't know i don't think it's controversial but rachel Lowe should absolutely be in the julie dolan conversation um and i think it goes back to our chat about the length of the season where maybe no one's been a standout over 14 games but the season is now long enough that you don't have to be a standout in every single one of those 14 games like you can be um, a little more um, I don't want to say patchy because that's not the connotation that I want but you can actually have like maybe a quiet couple of games and then all of a sudden be starring for three weeks in a row and then maybe have a little bit of a dip like the season allows you to kind of ebb and flow um, and I think Rachel, Rachel Lowe is currently in one of her peaks um she's consistently scoring she does so much for that victory midfield so I would say that she's maybe 
the person people haven't considered for Julie Dolan conversations. One quick thought is what would have happened had Serena Bolden started the season and not been signed like eight weeks in, you know, I think, I think she probably would have been in a serious like top three conversation for the Julie Dolan. I think she can too. If she, she if she continues to bang him in, I think she can. And that also leads me to Sophie Harding. Like, because of the way that she has kind of taken the Western Sydney team by the scruff of the neck and is having this incredible record-breaking season for the club, like, you can't miss her when the Wanderers do well. So it would not surprise me if she's accumulated a fair few votes, especially over this last kind of month, six weeks sort of situation where she has just been like, Harding's on, Wanderers are on. You know what I mean? It's interesting there's never been a goalkeeper. Um, and again, I wonder if it comes back into the, like the eye, the eye test thing. If, if um, goalkeepers, I feel like a whether we like it or not, probably unfairly judged in comparison to outfielders for obvious reasons because it seems like like they're there when the goal is conceded, even if they're not kind of responsible for the build up to that goal being conceded. So, and like to be honest, I don't know, like someone like Morgan Aquino. Again, she's had like some really, really standout games that I assume would have seen some votes go her way. Um, I'm not too sure if there's any other keepers that are kind of comparable to her at the moment. Jordan um, Stalkowitz, I reckon, would be oh yeah. the peep. You go on Twitter after a Brisbane Raw game and a lot of the chatter is Jordan Silkowitz, what a woman you are, basically. So, like, oh, again, wow. it it wouldn't surprise me if she is one that has had at least a couple of maybe three vote games um, based on her performance alone and uh, minimising the damage for Brisbane Raw, especially in the first half of the season. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, it's a, a, what was the question again? Sorry. <laughs> Who's gonna win? The Julie Dolan. Who, who's in who's in the conversation at this point in the in the season? Yeah. So I think yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's good that there's maybe even not a standout, to be honest. Because it means that I think you mentioned it, Sam, that like we could see someone bolt from the blue in this final half of the season and there's absolutely time for someone to kind of go on a tear and all of a sudden emerge. So It'll be a fun one to watch and look into. Um, No boot this week other than a constant, never-ending cursing of the anterior cruciate ligament. Um, We saw Jill Ward for Manchester City do hers. I saw someone on Twitter make an entire starting 11 of anterior cruciate ligaments that have happened this year. Um, we're only 29 days into 2024, but we've got an entire, st- like a functional starting 11 of uh, players who have done their knees. So it, it's a godless, lawless ligament um, and we are all haters. So a big boot, but let's finish with some how goods. Which of you has a how good to share with the class? Sam. Well, speaking of the anterior cruciate ligament, my how good this week is uh, Vivian Miedemar returning from her anterior cruciate ligament injury to score. Her first goal for Arsenal for the season. Uh, It was in a 2-0 win against Liverpool in the league. Uh, She scored in the 60th minute. And it was just like, it was just one of those goals where you kind of knew 
as the ball was floating that like the gods were just kind of like, you know what, you deserve a little treat for all the things that you've been through. You deserve this little thing. It was beautiful. She picked up the ball just outside the 18 yard box, turned, took two touches and just like whacked it. It was just such beautiful technique. It was flat. It was hard. It, and it just fizzed over the goalkeeper's um, fingers into the top of the net. It was beautiful. Arsenal were absolutely dominant in this game as well. Caitlin Ford, as you mentioned at the top, Marissa scored the second goal, um, I think like nine, in the 69th minute. Nice. Uh, yes, but Vivian Miedemar, um scoring her first goal after coming back from her ACL. How good. It's just so good. Also, I feel like uh, Viv, and to be fair, like you could throw any number of players into this because of the absolute scourge of ACLs that have happened but like you almost forgot how good she is and then you see a goal like that and it's like I'm sorry for forgetting your game you've been on the back (laughs) burner of my brain for like a year um I'm so sorry but we absolutely do love to see it and as always we wish all uh sufferers of anterior cruciate ligaments smooth speedy smooth speedy smooth speedy recoveries is what i was going for um and getting back to what they do best like viv has done there but angela how good my how good is good tilly's merch uh they released or announced this week and um launched Aunt matilda's back to school range and uh, like okay so maybe the bucket hats aren't gonna fit most of us i'm sure some people will try um, this is this this range is designed for children. Same with the socks. Like Dave Manuka, friend of the pod, Dave Manuka tweeted it. Like release these in adult sizes and they will be purchased. Um, so yeah, this is the official Tilly's range. Back to school looks amazing. Features designs from um, artist three hundred three two, which we love. Um, he also did some stuff during the World Cup, which I know a lot of us um, purchased, like the the black t shirt with the design on the front. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited. They have a back to school clear case. And like, as an ADHD girly, I carry around this crusty clear, like pencil case thing that is on the way out. It's like got, it just like, you know, everything that I could ever possibly need in there plus some. So I'm definitely, <laughs> this could be the replacement. This could be it. It's so cute. It's so cute. And um, yeah, they've got yeah socks as well, bucket hats, water bottles. I'm not going to be buying a water bottle. I'm going to say that because water bottles come and go in my life. They're not here to stay and I will definitely lose it without a, within a week of getting it. But um, yeah, how good. I love it. Tilly's, like good Tilly's merch. I feel like credit where credit is due, Football Australia have been doing so great with this, I would say like the past year. Um, and so, yeah. Love it. How good. Release it in adult sizes, though. Sam, you had a a thought? Oh, I will be one of the people who tries to pull the bucket hat on, even if it is not meant for me. I will <laughs> I will force it onto my head. I swear to God. Sam, why why is there an extra piece of material stitched in the back of your bucket hat? Did, did you put it there so that it could fit over your noggin? You is know, it, it does like not match the bucket hat. <laughs> Fascinator. <laughs> Fascinator. To be fair, 
a good fascinator. Um, I know there was also like a notebook and the backpack and the um marketing of these products included little Harley Yollop and this backpack was half the size of her. Like it was, you only saw legs and a head, otherwise it was all backpack, like some weird little turtle. It was adorable. Absolutely loved it. Um, an extreme how good. Um, one final how good from me. This morning we had WSL action as we usually do uh, on a Monday morning Australian time and West Ham, which is now home to two Matildas, was gathering in, li- in a little huddle post-game. They had just won and then all of a sudden launching out of nowhere, like quite literally launching out of nowhere, our very own Katrina Gorry just yeets herself into the night sky, onto one of her teammates' backs, um, I'm guessing completely underestimates the uh, her own leap because she does not elegantly, like, jump on her teammates' back. She goes straight over the top of her head. She is barreling then down over this person's head into the centre of the huddle um, and just, like, like a comet in the sky just yeets um it is genuinely hilarious someone has put it on a loop and I can't stop watching it um and all I can think about is the classic A-leg men's commentary from one Andy Harper where he describes someone jumping up for a header as like a spawning salmon and that is what Minnie looks like a spawning salmon over her West Ham teammates so uh, Katrina Gorey, she might be mini, but she knows how to leap. How good. Just on memes, another quick how good. Um, the photo oh, yes. that um, Megan Borg took, I think the Western United, Western Sydney Wanderers <gasps> A-League men's oh game. God, yes. It's, so it's possibly like, like football pick of the year. Um, it's like the back it of is. the change rooms. The doors open and there's just like this hand elegantly holding a ciggy out the door like the partially open door it's so good and it did really like obviously everyone loved it because it's it's just so I don't know fitting it was um very funny I I don't think we even need to like find out whose whose hand it was whose ciggy it was we don't need to it it's just perfect as is um and Marissa I know you were talking about like art is it like memes as Memes is art, oh. art is memes, sport photos is art, memes, my, my, sorry, you, you go. The best, use of, <laughs> the best use of the internet, the uh, Twitter slash Instagram account, Art But Make It Sports, is um, some dude in the US who just really loves art and has like a photographic memory and when people send him uh you know those just really sick sports photos sometimes they look like renaissance paintings or whatever it is he always knows the art that looks exactly like that moment um so I added him I was literally like sir long time fan second time caller do you have any paintings that include a single hand elegantly smoking a cigarette emerging out of a red brick door um he did not get back to me though but it's fine we live, we laugh, we love. <laughs> also, another how good story. Red Foo, Red Foo at the dub. Yes. <laughs> or was he at the? Well, I don't know if he was at the. I, I assume he is. He's actually, for those who don't know, he's mar- married to a tennis player. 
um I'm so sorry I can't remember her name that's really like uh are they married like oh I don't know he's with he he comes out of the woodwork for the Australian Open every year but like this year he just came down the road to Amy Park to you know revel in you know the one all draw (laughs) anyway but Redfoo getting around the A-Leagues how good we love that (laughs) for those who don't know Redfoo is um one half of a party rock party rockers is that their name LMFAO LMFAO who are the party rockers their jobs are party rockers their name is LMFAO. Um. <laughs> New episode title is Sorry for Party Rockies. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. No, just this, this last like anyway. three minutes of conversation, I just can't. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> Gone, gone. Um, Victor had a lot of weird guests over the last couple of days. Like, I think more specifically in the men, because um, ten thousand times Super Bowl winner Tom Brady was also there. But in my humble opinion, Tom Brady should always be known as the man that fumbled Giselle, not the man who won ten thousand Super Bowls. Like, (laughs) you had it all. What did you, how did you, what did you, how did you, the the biggest L of all. Anyway, that's not the point. That's enough out of us for today because we've completely lost the plot here. Thank you so much for tuning in. As promised last week, we will be doing a Tilly's Big Board. That'll come to you sometime very, very soon. But as always, thanks for tuning in. We're over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, all of the usual pod spots. Leave a review and subscribe if you like what we're doing. If you want to have a chat to us, and we really did appreciate all the questions this week because they basically drove this entire episode, leave them at the Far Post Pod on all social media and we'll always try our best to get to as many as we possibly can. We can, but until next time, we'll see you.